Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be here on this last night, and just amazing to see so many people here. Uh, it really is, in so many ways, a foretaste of heaven, and in a sense that fits in very much with, uh, with what I want to say to us tonight. The theme for tonight is God's unconditional love for tomorrow, for the future. I'm going to entitle what I say after uh, Macbeth, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. But first of all, I want to say to Peter Linus that uh, I really was a bit miffed this morning because his miracle was better than mine. When he went into the restaurant, somebody paid for his whole meal. When I went into McDonald's, somebody made a mistake and paid for my three ice creams because uh, they didn't realize they were doing it. And when I handed the girl the 10-pound note, uh, she said to me, but it's, you've already paid. I said, I haven't paid. Oh, she said, those boys who were just before you, they must have paid then. And uh, I was thinking, do you know, McDonald's is not really my place anyway. My granddaughter, who's four and a half years of age, she's called Lily, and uh, she was taken into another fast food outlet, and her mother did this little WhatsApp on her, and she was eating her fast food, and then her mother said to her, who's that on the box? She says, Granddad! I am the real Colonel Sanders, you understand? What we've been talking about over these days, and uh, particularly it's been a thrill to work with Ben and a thrill to meet Ian for the first time, and what we have really been talking about over these days is the big story the big story of God's love, of a God who has always loved, of a God who brought creation into being because of His love, about a God who keeps loving humanity no matter how many blind alleys we go down and how many things we do that is wrong, whose heart from the very beginning to the very end is love, whose name is love, who is a love that endures forever. And I often think that the kind of question that will be asked in any church that really embraces the truth radically of a God of love will be that question in Romans 6 verse 1, shall we continue to sin? that grace may abound. Now, Paul very quickly says, no, please don't. But the fact is that people were asking the question that God's love and mercy and grace are so amazing, so endless. I had an experience of that once. I don't think I said this in one of the other uh, addresses. At Niagara Falls on the Maid of the Mist, and I was going in under the falls. I'd been at a conference. I was with Christian friends, and uh, the, sp the person on the boat was telling us all about how many gallons of water came over every single day, and how many came over in a year, and all the stories about the falls. And we were in under there, and we had the the, the max on, and the, the 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 spray was pouring over us. And God revealed before me at that moment that this is His mercy, that His mercy endures forever, that His mercy knows no bounds, that there is more mercy and grace and love in the heart of God than we would ever need. And that if we get too close to it, we will be drowned in it. Absolutely drowned in it. It is so plentiful, there never comes a point in our lives where there isn't more grace. 
and there isn't more mercy, and there isn't more love. And so what I want you to do with me tonight at intervals is that little kind of response that you get very often in places like Nigeria, and I'm going to say it until you roar it out, right? And then we're going to repeat it, and I don't have to tell you the answer, do I? God is good! That was pathetic. Let's do it again. God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Now, I want to remind you what we have looked at in the past week. And I'm doing that for a particular purpose. I'm doing that because for each of us, there will have been some moment in this past week when the Spirit of God lit on a word that was said or a thought that came into your heart and mind, and the word on the page became electric and real, and you knew that God was speaking to you. We've looked on Saturday at God's unconditional love for us, His amazing grace on Sunday at His unconditional love through us, on Monday at His unconditional love within us, the church, on Tuesday at God's unconditional love for our enemies when Ben spoke from his own experience in Nigeria, on Wednesday at God's unconditional love for our neighbors, when we drilled down in Northern Ireland and placed these prayers and signs of love and repentance and names on the cross. And then last night, we were reminded of that wonderful chapter, John 3, of the story of Nicodemus and of the pivotal verse, God so loved the world. And then in the mornings within, we looked at God's unconditional love in the beginning, not something new with the incarnation, but something which has always been in the heart of God. And then we looked at God's unconditional love for everyone, that Abraham was not called to simply proclaim the love of God to his own people, but through his own people to the entire world. And then we looked at God's unconditional love. This is my favorite. For ratbags! Any ratbags here? I think I'm a bit of a ratbag at times. In Jacob, that God doesn't only express His love in and through people who have got it all together. And then we looked at God's unconditional love in the crucible of ministry with Elijah. And this morning, in that very powerful, I think the best exposition I have ever heard in my life of Psalm 23, God's unconditional love to the very end. I want to say to you tonight, God loves you forever! On one occasion, I had the opportunity of going and uh, conducting a wedding in a Mennonite church in Washington, D.C. A friend of mine who was uh, a vice consul in Belfast, and he asked me to come and conduct uh, his wedding service in this Mennonite church in Washington, D.C. And I was left uh, after the uh, wedding for the Sunday with his best man, who was a Pentecostal pastor. And we went round the sites in Washington, D.C. We went first to the little Mennonite church we'd been to, and uh, we went round all the sites. And as we were coming back home through, it wasn't a very salubrious neighborhood. And we were coming along the street, and we heard, boom, 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 boom. 
and it was a shopfront black Pentecostal church. And there was a big mama, and I will not describe her shape, standing outside the black Pentecostal church. And she said to us, come on in, come in. And in we went, and we were the only two white people in this black Pentecostal church. And they were so warm and so all-embracing. And when they discovered that we were pastors, we had to get up and bless the choir. And they were all going like this here, you know, the way they go. And, and then they sent the collection plate around. And then the person responsible for the money, right, go and do it now, came out and he said, we haven't got enough, it'll have to go around again. <laughs> I've never forgotten this black Pentecostal church. It was great. And they didn't mind women preachers because uh, this woman who was the pastor's wife got up to preach and she was dressed like an Anglican bishop. By the way, there are three bishops here tonight, Bishop Ken Clark. That makes a triad of bishops. And she was dressed like an Anglican bishop, and then she had a big hat like you would wear at Ascot. And her theme for the sermon was this, God is our refuge and strength, a very, she emphasized that each time, a very present help in time of trouble. And then she said to us, turn around to the person beside you and say, the devil is defeated. We all turn it, the devil is defeated, the devil is defeated. Well, I want you, it's a long way around to say, I want you to do something now. I want you in just a moment to turn to the person beside you. If you don't know their name, ask their name, their Christian name. And then I want you to say to that person, God First, their name, God loves you forever. Now, not just yet, because what we do when somebody says that to us is we get quickly on to saying the same back to them, but when the first person says it, I want a break for about 30 seconds, and then I'll say, the second person say it, and a break for 30 seconds. I want you to know, not just through me preaching from the front of this tent tonight, I want you to know personally that God has set His love on you forever. So the name, God loves you forever. 30 seconds. The other person, the name, God loves you forever. So, will you get somebody beside you? And if you need to move a little bit to get somebody, and just do that, please. What is your name? Heather. Heather. God loves you forever. Okay, don't say other things. Don't say other things. Have you had a chance for the second person to say it? If you haven't, do it now. Now, I hope that you have engaged with that. Because what happens usually when people say something nice to us, we don't want to say, oh, no, 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 not me. God loves you forever, as they so often say. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. I thought it was wonderful how we looked at the big story. There's a, there's a very long word for the big story, and the long word for the big story is meta-narrative. 
Can you all say that with me? Say it. One, two, three. Meta-narrative. Right? I remember being invited on one occasion to speak to a highly philosophical, emergent, and postmodern group in Queen's University in Belfast. They called themselves the Last Supper. And there were 12 of them, and they invited a speaker. And they asked me to speak on something to do with liturgy, anything to do with liturgy. So I decided what I was going to speak on was liturgy or worship as a meta-narrative. And then I looked up and I discovered that postmodern people hate meta-narratives. People these days very often don't want to have the big story that holds them together. There is a big story that holds us together. There is a big story which is revealed by God in His Word, into which we enter, by which we understand our lives, which makes our lives meaningful. Ian was reminding us that an awful lot of worship is to do with remembering, especially worship that is rooted in Judaism, is to do with remembering. When we come to worship together, we come to remember. What do we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We remember the Lord's death until He comes. And we have been wonderfully remembering the story of our salvation, the story of God's love right through from Genesis. And tonight, we're going to remember in a different way. And it's best summed up in a little hymn written by a Methodist man called Fred Kahn. And it's written for Remembrance Sunday. And it's written to the tune, O Valiant Hearts, because the words of O Valiant Hearts are such that I hope that none of you would want to sing them. So he wrote better words. And you know what the last two lines of this hymn are? It takes a while to wrap your mind around them. Remember forwards to a world restored. Remember forwards to a world restored. The big story that has been revealed to us in the Scriptures, tells us not just what has happened, but what is going to happen when the world is restored. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight, the last part of the big story tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And I want you to stand up, and we're going to read our passage of Scripture. And it's from Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8. Remembering forward to a world restored. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We'll say it again. God is good. All the time. time. Please be seated. The unconditional love for tomorrow, for the future, is an unconditional love that creates a new heaven and a new earth. Every so often, there's a book that comes out that really has a kind of click factor. You know, the kind of book that you read and you think, I have believed that for years. I have seen that in the Scripture for years, but I've never really noticed anybody writing it down. And such a book is Tom Wright's book, I think 2007, Surprised by Hope. If you haven't read Tom Wright's Surprised by Hope, I would suggest that you get it and that you read it. Tom Wright was a bishop of Durham, And one of his predecessors as a bishop of Durham denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think Tom saw it as part of his calling to not only affirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the tomb was actually empty, the body was not there, but to teach and teach teach about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I imagine that pretty well every person in this room tonight believes in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know, it's very interesting that in the creeds, they just say, He was raised from the dead or raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. But when it comes to our resurrection, it says, I believe in the resurrection of the… What? I believe in the resurrection of the body. Some of you may have known my good friend Tom Smale. Tom Smale was a great uh, leader, a great theologian, actually, of charismatic renewal. He was at one time, in fact, when I was at school, he was the minister in White Abbey Presbyterian Church. And I got to know Tom very well because he and I joined the staff of St. John's College in Nottingham on the very same day. And we became great friends. We disagreed in a whole lot of things, but we became great friends. And when he got old, he and his wife, Truda, who had also worked as a secretary for me, had retired to a a kind of home down in West Sussex. And uh, one Christmas, we discovered that Truda was beginning to get Alzheimer's because Tom said in his very humorous Christmas letter, but it was sad at the same time, he said, uh, Truda goes to memory classes, and when she comes home, she has absolutely loved them, but she can't remember what happened at them. She herself was quite amused by that at the time but I was called in. Next time you're in London, will you get a train down and come to see us? And I did. And Truda said to me, said, Harold, will you conduct my funeral? And I think I said, I'd be glad to before I realized what I'd said. 
I said, of course, Trude, I will conduct your funeral. And we began to talk about our funeral, and Ben was talking about organizing his funeral. It's a very important thing. We'll come back to that in a moment. But then Tom said, actually, I'd like you to conduct mine as well. He said, but I don't want you to preach. He said, I've already got the preacher. I said, okay, Tom, I will conduct your funeral. You've got the preacher. I'll conduct the funeral. And the funerals have duly taken place. And at Tom's funeral, his daughter gave me what he had written two weeks before he died, and she said, that is Tom's last sermon. And his sermon was called Crossing Over. And in his sermon on Crossing Over, he used these words, and they were the very last words that I spoke in that very nice church in the south of London in Croydon at the, over his coffin. Before he went out, I spoke these last words of Tom, and here they were, something like this. Begone, all those angels floating in clouds, playing their harps. Begone, he says, all those cherubs with sculpted buttocks. He, get, he was quite an exciting preacher. <laughs> I think what's going to happen when I arrive is that Jesus will meet me and will say, Tom, come and have breakfast. Just as he said, after the resurrection. Now, it is true that our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's true that our hope is laid up for us in heaven, Colossians 1.5, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be made like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The resurrection body of Jesus is a prototype for us. I shared some of my frustrations at funerals and my desire to write my own funeral address and record it and send it out. And one of my great frustrations, I speak to you as a body of evangelical people at an evangelical conference, do you believe in the resurrection of the body? Good. Half a dozen do. <laughs> because I have heard more sermons in evangelical churches that have been really quite off-beam. 1 Corinthians 15, read it and read it and read it. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown like a seed is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. The big story, the big news, Tom Wright puts it like this, is that some of us only believe in part one, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The big news is this, that our final destination is a new heaven and a new earth. There is continuity with life as we have known it. The seed is sown, the seed dies, and the seed is raised up again, just as there was continuity and discontinuity in the resurrected body of Jesus, so will it be with us. Christ has gone before, and I who am in Christ will be like Him. His unconditional love endures forever. God's making the world was not a mistake. His making of the heavens and the earth is the first creation. 
His making of the new heavens and the new earth is the new creation. In this heaven and this new earth, this new heaven and this new earth, fears are calmed, tears are wiped away, injustices are righted, the incomplete is completed, and the unconditional love of God endures forever. The big tomorrow the big tomorrow of God's unconditional love in the widest perspective is the new heaven and the new earth. We'll do it again. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Now let's hone it down a little bit. An unconditional love, secondly, that walks with us through death. An unconditional love for tomorrow when we die. Ben began to focus on that last night. I've planned my funeral too, but I haven't written it down. I have banned certain hymns. Be thou my vision is top of the list, and I want to congratulate this conference. We haven't sung it once during this conference, and I'm very happy because I'm sick and tired of singing it. You may love it, but I'm tired of it. Thine be the glory. I'm tired of that too, right? I'm tired of that too. I'm going out to shall we gather at the river. That's the present plan, but it's not written down, and Liz can't remember because I do change my mind from time to time. The only thing that is certain is that every single one of us is going to die. And the Scriptures reveal different ways of approaching that self-evident truth. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 32 says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And the same attitude is conveyed in the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The most natural worldly approach to the fact of death is to say, let's get as much as we can squeezed in to the bit of life that we have. Let's gather as much for ourselves, achieve as much for ourselves, have as much for ourselves, enjoy ourselves as much as we possibly can because tomorrow we are going to die. And it is one of the saddest experiences to see people who come to death with that attitude. The second experience, or the second way of approaching it, and there are many others as well, is to always be ready. Prepare while you have time and realize that God is in sovereign control. James 4.13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. It used to say DV at the end of things, Deo Valente, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. They say, the psychologists, the people who go through the stages of life, say that the thing that we need to know as we come to the latter stages of our lives is that they have integrity, that they make sense 
that there's a story we can tell that uh, somehow or other makes our lives meaningful, and very many people don't necessarily have that in this day and age. And I'm aware that as we think it's an odd subject for the last night, as we think about death, there may be people here who actually know that they've only got a limited time to live, or people here with friends and relatives who only have a limited time to live. And there are other people here who also have only got a limited time to live but don't know it. In fact, in a sense, we all only have a limited time to live. We are mortal. We are human. I don't like fatalism, but I do love a hymn by St. Columba on this particular subject. It's not a hymn that anybody ever sings, so let's imagine it's a poem. And here's what he says. It sums up a lot of what I want to say. Alone with none but Thee, my God, I journey on my way. What need I fear when Thou art near, O King of night and day? More safe am I within Thy hand than if a host did round me stand. The child of God can fear no ill, His chosen dread no foe. We leave our fate with Thee and wait Thy bidding when to go. Tis not from chance our comfort springs. Thou art our trust, O King of kings. Much ministry with people who are dying is very personal. And most ministry with people who are dying that is close and personal, a pastor can't easily relate to a congregation of this size. But there is one person whom I had the privilege of ministering to uh, at the time of his death, and he specifically said to me, I want you to tell everybody about how God has been so close to me at the time of my death. I want you to use this experience as a testimony. And his name, and many of you will have known him, was Derek Bingham. And I went to see Derek when he was close to his death. I brought him Holy Communion. I gave him one of these clutching crosses. Have you ever seen them? They are the most wonderful thing. You just wrap your fingers around them and hold on to the cross. And every time I visited Derek after that, when he took his hand out from under the covers, he was holding on to the cross. And he said to me, I want you to say the prayers in the Church of Ireland prayer book over me. And I did, because you know something? I imagine that when you're at a very weak point, you don't want somebody just rabbiting on. And I said these kind of words over him, Derek, the night before he died, our companion in faith, the Lord who gave you to us is taking you to himself. He who died for you and who rose again for you. And we said his nunc dimittis, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the sight of all people. And there was one verse that I particularly wanted to read to Derek, and it was the last words I said to him before he entered into eternity. It was from a hymn called, O Sacred Head, Surrounded, German pietistic kind of hymn. 
and I want to read it to you as I read it to Derek. We will all face our death. Speaking to the Lord, be thou my consolation, my shield when I must die. Remind me of thy passion when my last hour draws nigh. My eyes shall then behold thee, upon thy cross shall dwell. My heart by faith enfold thee. And then this wonderful line, it just kills me, this wonderful line. Who dieth thus dies well. Who dieth thus dies well. An unconditional love that creates a new heaven and earth to which we will be raised just as Jesus is raised and bodily raised at that. An unconditional love that walks with us through death. And lastly, an unconditional love in which we see ourselves as part of the big story. We walk into tomorrow to be part of God's future, part of God's plan. We walk into tomorrow knowing that He has spoken to us over these days, that He has challenged us to live our lives fully and completely and absolutely for Him. But we're only part of God's plan. We are not the whole of God's plan. We are a jigsaw piece in the plan of God that makes up the picture. And so Ian, when he finishes his sabbatical in Germany, will go back into a highly secularized society in Vancouver. And he will have to live out the life of Christ there by the grace of God. Maud, if God wills, and if Weck allows her, will go back to Congo for three months to that place of challenge there where she must have some challenging memories after her experience. I couldn't believe it when we went to that afternoon tea with Maud to see the pictures of when she'd been shot and the blood and the hole in her back, and she wants to go back. Ben and Gloria will return to Joss to that complex and often dangerous world on the tectonic plates between Islam and Christianity. And most of us will walk back into our society in Northern Ireland, which has its own challenges and its own opportunities and its own ways if we really follow God's plan of stretching us to our own limits. We will return to all sorts of places, challenges. And for some of us, the Word of God has clearly come into our lives. But we are going to live our part between this moment and the day we die for God and God's glory alone. I quoted Helen Rosevere on several occasions, and she rightly said, there is no such word as retirement. The only way a Christian can spell retirement is R-E-T-Y-R-E-M-E-N-T, -E 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 new tires for the new stage. Wesley said, I'll praise my Maker while I've breath. Happy if with my latest breath I might but gasp his name, preach him to all and cry in death, behold, behold the Lamb. We are only part of the story. But our part of the story in the plan of God is a part that only we can play. And we walk out of this place tonight utterly determined 
to live for God, to breathe for God until the very day when our last breath passes our lips. And by God's grace, He calls us into His closer presence and prepares us for our bodily resurrection. But one of the things that we've been talking about a little bit as we go out into tomorrow, and one of the themes that has been around uh, over this time is the fact that we also pass on to a new generation. Elijah had to pass on the mantle to Elisha. And it is really, really important. It is a real joy and a real privilege at this new horizon to see so many people in their 20s and 30s in this place. When I got to the age of 35, I thought I was halfway there. I thought, the Lord has given me three score years and ten. Now, when I see Liz's mother, who is now 86 and a half, I thought, maybe he'll give me a few more as well. You never know. But I think that one of the things that we want to do at the end of this new horizon, as we walk out of this place to live our lives for Jesus Christ, is also, in a sense, to pass on the mantle to a new generation. I love those words that we sang just before I came up here. I see a generation rising up to take its place with selfless faith. And I want to say to those of you who are younger here that we want to stand with you who are older to pass on the baton, but we're going to keep going ourselves too, right, in faith but to pass on the baton so that you can pass on the baton. We are here in this place tonight because St. Patrick in 432 proclaimed the gospel and passed on the baton. And then the Bangor saints went out in the 6th century into a darkened Europe and passed on the baton. And what I want to do before we finish tonight is just have a little moment of the older generation, let's say 40 plus, that be old enough? <laughs> Some people of 40 thought they weren't old, did they? <laughs> Passing on the baton to the new generation. The big picture is the new heaven and the new earth. God's unconditional love goes on forever. The picture in the middle is that we're here till we go. We're here till we die. And God's love will go with us unconditionally, even through the gates of death. But meanwhile, God's unconditional love will be seen in our lives, heard in our words, known by others because we have passed on the baton and ensured that a new generation rises up to take this faith, this most wonderful message, this truth above all truths that has inhabited this island for so long, and we are not going to let it go at any cost. Yeah? Amen? Amen. I want you to stand up then just for a moment. And if you are under the age of 40, will you please put your hand in the air? That is wonderful. Keep your hand up. <coughs> Keep your hand up. And if you're feeling really rotten because you can't put your hand up, I want you to just hold a hand over these people as a sign, as a sign of passing on to them 
the baton of faith which they have already received, but that they will run with it uh, to generations still to come. So, just as you hold your hands over them, and I hold my hand over those who have nobody else around you because there are more people under 40 than over 40, right? And I want to pray a prayer over you. Lord, You have given us the faith of Your Son, Jesus Christ, in this land through many generations. And we pray now that You would enable this faith to be faithfully passed on from generation to generation, that it may never cease to be proclaimed in this land. And more than that, we ask that it would be proclaimed more powerfully, lived out more powerfully, more faithfully than ever in the years to come. And I want to use an old Irish prayer. Here it is over this, over all of us. O oh God, in days of old, You gave to this land the blessing of Your holy church. Withdraw not, we pray, your favor from us, but so correct what is amiss and supply what is lacking that we may more and more bring forth fruit to your honor and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God is good all the time. And again, twice as loud. God is good. All the time. time. Every blessing as you go on your way. The blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you forever. Amen.